I remember asking John about his reality. He owns his own business and said, John, what keeps you up at night? And he was like, oh, the list and the worries and the things to do for the next day. And if you had a chance to hear a story, we'll post it online as well for you to watch it. Um, And his best practices, he says that over the last number of years, the things that wake him up in the night are his business. And he tends to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning as maybe not every day, but as a pretty regular thing. And immediately he begins to think about the task to do for that day. And so we know that when we talk about sleepless nights, one of the things that interrupt our rest and our sleep is work. And if it's not work, it's just the pressures of what we have to do the next day. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to your work interrupting your rest when it begins to spill over into your life? And I think this is so common for the majority of us. And the reality is that that's an indicator of something that's going on. It's an indicator of our life. It's an indicator of our pace. It's an indicator of the realities and the struggles and the pressures that continue to step upon us. And so today, we want to talk about that, about sleepless nights of work. And in this series, um, it's meant to be a conversation. It's meant to drive conversations out of this about, huh, is this a reality of mine? Does my work keep me up? Does it interrupt my sleep? Do the pressures of tomorrow continue to step in where I'm continuing to think about them? And if so, it's meant to drive a conversation. One where we would love for you to have with God where you begin to ask God questions and allow him to ask you questions about what's going on in my inner life? What's going on? And what is my work patterns telling me about what I value in love and how I handle stress in life? Am I out of control? Am I overworked? It could be a conversation you need to have with friends about the stress of your work, and it could be ones you're having with neighbors. But we want to invite you to have um, an ongoing conversation. And so one of the things we want to talk about, sort of unhealthy work or workers are those that engage in more activities than their combined spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves can sustain. Right? It's just more than you can do. And it begins to spill over. When I was asked the question to myself, what keeps me up at night, it, it was, it's related to work. It was in the last two months I would have, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden I would see faces of people who attend here or who I don't see anymore who don't attend here anymore. And it was this sense of either not being able to meet a need that they had or not measuring up to an expectation or missing that expectation with the community or a lack of community that someone was experiencing or not measuring up to a standard of what they longed for or for a specific teaching that they were aching for. In so many ways, it was almost like there was a product that Genesis is in itself and that product wasn't, wasn't meeting that need. And I woke up thinking about those relationships and created anxiety and pressure and strain. Much like you who are working. You wake up thinking about the product or what you're trying to deliver on or what it is that you're meant to produce and you feel the weight and the strain of it. I don't believe that we're meant to do so. As I begin to dig in about these kind of issues and ask questions about my own stress levels and of that, uh, it, it was quickly when we asked the question, why am I feeling this pressure? And if you begin to answer honestly into those deeper inner parts, some of you may be like me, where you understand that your identity begins to get wrapped up in what you do. 
Now we know that our identity is so much more than what we do, but we're a part of a culture in a world that your identity and your value and your significance can get wrapped up so easily in what you achieve or produce. And this has nothing to do with either being a man or a woman, it's for everyone. What you produce is wraps up your identity. And some, for some of them, it's in their work, for others it's in their children, or it's in their life, or what is being produced, it's wrapped up there. And we begin to ask questions about, wow, why is my work spilling over into my sleep? And then why, why am I continuing to be overly driven by what I do? For me, the answer is that I find such significance in what I do and the approval of others, wanting to be seen as, an, as valuable and important to others, which is a good thing, but it's not meant to be found there. God is meant to be the one who speaks into our identity, who begins to speak into our work, and who invites us on this journey. So I want to invite you this morning as we just take a look at this sleepless nights and work and allow God to speak potentially into your sleepless night, into your idea of work and your idea of rest. So let me start with this text. This is from, um, well, do you guys relate to this reality of sleepless nights with work? Anybody can connect to work, keeping them up and, and getting in, yeah, that, that's, that's everyone. We all relate to this. And our work spilling over into our lives is such a common thing. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says this, and this is one of these texts that could also fill you with a great amount of fear, but it's also one of these ones that can drive a conversation. I want to use it to drive a conversation. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says this, Therefore, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here's an interesting, at the end of this book as Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's saying, be careful how you live. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Understand how you should live, what you should do. Make the most of your time. When you read that, and if I said, hey, you know, I really want you to make the most of your time. Well, does that sound like that you're meant to um, do more or less with your time? Who thinks that for you is more? If you hear, I said, hey, make the most of your time, do more. Who thinks it's, you know what, make the most of my time, I need to do less? Nobody. How weird is that, right? So when we hear, make the most of your time, as someone who is one who is trying to shape us as a disciple of Jesus, one who's trying to encourage a church that is just as broken as we are, and it says, you know what, I want you to make the most, I want you to be wise to make the most of your time, we all think, you know what? You know what he means? We need to produce more. But, but what if that wasn't it? And then here Paul gives us this little indicator that begins to tell us maybe what we believe about God and ourselves in the same way that when we heard this, we thought we were to produce more. He says this, I don't want you to be foolish because it's about being foolish and wise, but I want you to understand this, what the will of the Lord is. What God will is for your time <laughs> what he wills of your time I want you to understand that I don't want you to be foolish I want you to be wise with what the Lord's will is and so do you know what the Lord's will 
is of your time. And at this moment, do you think that he is saying, produce more? Is that his will for you? I want you to produce more. You know, you're actually not producing enough. Well, I want to challenge us with some, and I'm going to speak really broadly about what I believe to be God's will in the broad picture. Here's the thing with God. He's God and I am not. Whatever he speaks and directs to you, I think you're wise if you do it. You're right? And so if there is this thing where he's like, oh, hey, I'm going with you. I want you to push more. Then you need to push more. If he tells you, I want you to rest, you need to rest, right? We want to, we want to, the wise one who hears what the Lord says and does it. But I want to speak to something that I think as a culture we do not do well. That is the Lord's will and a part of that is rest. And so, so with this, we begin to understand what is the Lord's will? And so here's a question for you that I want you to pause. And could you ask this to the person next to you? Okay, now this is not meant to be those really dumb hypothetical questions like, um, does God, can God make a rock that he can't pick up? Or if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? This question is not to mean one of those stupid ones like that, okay? This is a for real question that I want you to pause and I want you to ask to the person next to you just your understanding of this question. It's meant to drive a conversation. So here's the question. I think this is a million dollar one with God's will. Does God give you more to do in a day than you can actually do. And so I want you to turn to a person next to you. Consider it. Does God give you more to do in a day than you can actually do? And again, this is a hypothetical question. I, I, you know, what's your, what's your interpretation of this? Turn to the person next to you and I'm sorry, introverts, I'm giving you no time to process this question. And so just let the extroverts let you have it. So, consider. Okay, this, this sounds like you're really talking and you've probably already <laughs> communicated the most brilliant thought. Uh, and my wife just said it's stupid. So, but, um, so here, here's this. Now, this is not meant to be this hypothetical question. Can God give you more to do than you actually can do? I mean, yeah, you can do anything he wants, right? But is his nature, is his character, as his will to say, here's what I will of you today. 
I want to give you more than you can actually do. And again, I'm not speaking from this term of saying, hey, you're supposed to do this and not with God. But if God is joining and, and moving out and inviting you to join him in what he's doing and inviting you to join him in what he's doing, does he invite you to do more with him than you can do? What was the thought? Anybody have an interesting answer to this? What's your thought? I think he does. If you look... There we go. If you look scripturally, he pushes people. Look at Moses. Moses wasn't a speaker. He sent him before Pharaoh. Look at Elijah, right? He shows up before the king, makes a declaration, and then has to go run and hide. So yeah. God does push you. He's not necessarily going to add more to you. Yeah. Like you have seven things to do and he's giving you ten. But he's giving you the ability to do those seven things in a great way versus just the normal, natural way. It's awesome. Great answer. Who else has got a thought on this? With what you just said, how do you find that time? How did you differentiate? It's not 10, but it is seven. That's my dilemma. Yeah. Like, you're right. He won't, he will encourage us, but to do 10, to do seven, to do nine, that's where I'm stuck. And JD's answer was interesting because his answer was yes, but then when he explained it to us, it was no. Did you hear that? It was, yes, God gives us, he pushes us, and so he's inviting us into more, because we've been talking about that, but it wasn't, it was like that more beyond what you believe, but it wasn't more than you could do, right, because God was inviting, but at least that's what I heard from you. Yeah. So it was a yes and a, so who, who else had a, had a thought here? Jackie, what do you think? I'm in a very hard math class, algebra, algebra, uh, algebra school, and I feel like it's, God's giving me more to do that than I can actually do. And then my, brain, my brain's going, ah, I can't do this. Ah. That's an awesome example. Yeah, is too hard. It is. We talked about that. It, when we come up to our conclusion that God does not give you more than you can do, our brain, God gives us a certain amount of things to do, but we are, have such an ego, we add all other stuff to what we think we can do. So our answer is no, God does not give you more than what you can do. Your own brain adds all that clutter mm. to your brain. One more. Oh, Mark, we'll take this last one. To piggyback on Harvey, my to-do list gets longer. It continually grows and doesn't shrink. So even though I check stuff off and get stuff done, eventually it gets longer because it's what I'm coming up with. It's my to-do list. So it's, it's, an, it's meant to drive conversation, right? Because this text in Ephesians says, learn what the Lord's will is. That he wants you to live wisely. And the challenge is, is that we might say we don't know how to. That we're struggling continuing to live wisely. To, to know what that is. And so if there is pressure in our living, where is it coming from? And sometimes, I mean, J.D. says, hey, God sometimes puts that pressure. He's the one who's moving us, absolutely. And so we're trying to say, how do you be wise and unwise as the days are evil? But when the pressure is not from God, then the question is saying, where is it coming from? And so the question is, if we may feel there's way too much to do, but what if it's not God's will? Right? What if he's not driving it? Then who is? Where's this pressure coming from? 
Mark said, you know, ourselves. Jackie said from her teacher. And from algebra, right? Yeah, and so maybe it's coming from you. Maybe it's coming from an employer. Maybe it's coming from a friend. Maybe it's coming from your parents. Maybe it's coming from a spouse. Who knows where it's coming from, but maybe it's coming from somewhere else and not God. And so we would be wise is to understand, God, what's coming from you? And so that's what we want to be looking at God. This morning as we was reading, in a, I had a friend that sent me a, a text from a, a daily sort of encouragement called Jesus Calling. I don't know if some of you all read that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful right, um, invitation to be with Jesus. Because this is, this is the reality we're talking about with work. Is it that does God care about our work? And, and so we, we've got a value out front that says all of life is worship. You know what that value means? We were, we were talking, I was talking with our leadership team and both Nikki and Jenna said, oh, that's my favorite. It's my favorite of our values. I think it's the most unclear of what that means, right? Like, no, 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 I love that value. Everything we do is worship with God, including God. And so our work is with God and including God. It's good what God is inviting us to. It's meant to be good. It's meant to create and cultivate. But what we're talking about here is this help of a God who's with us in this work and who's helping us to sort out what's important and what's not. What needs to get done now and what does not. And for some of that, that is related to the to-do list that we have work and the to-do list we have at home and the to-do list that we have there. God helping us to sort it out in the circumstances of life. Here's this text from 2 Corinthians. It says, so fix our eyes not on what is seen but what's unseen since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Fix your attention because we are, we are driven, we, are, we tend to fix our eyes on what's seen. Those are our circumstances, those are the pressures, those are the goal lists that we have. And those are really good things. But we're going to fix all of our attention there. But he's saying, hey, I also, we also long for you to fix your attention, your eyes on what's unseen Not just on the circumstances of life. Not just on those details, but the unseen portions of life. And then he tells us and he reminds us what this is. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What do we know that's eternal? God, the unseen, the presence of God. So don't just fix your attention to everything that has to get done to this temporary list that is eventually going to get washed away. But, but fix your eyes on the eternal, inviting God to step in there and be in there with you to help you understand what's important and what is not. Now that's a cliche advice just right there, right? But so much harder to do. But as we talk about this sort of work and what's exposing about us and this help of wisdom that we need. Here is the cry of Jesus in Matthew 11. And in this, Jesus is talking about work and our rest and a way of living wisely. I love this text. This is the cry of Jesus to a culture who was feeling the pressure either religiously and work-wise and home-wise, all of it, of how to live. And here's was his cry to a people. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What drives me in this text when I hear this call of Jesus and as we read it aloud again, we hear the invitation of Jesus to find a rest that only exists in him. Say, come to me, those of you who are burdened and wearied, those of you who are overly driven, those of you feeling the pressures of everything pushing on your side, come to me and I will give you a rest. Spiritually, physically, emotionally that you cannot get. And then he says this, Take my yoke. A yoke is a tool for work. He's saying, all right, hey, let's, let's actually, we're talking not only about rest, but we're talking about work here. A yoke is when then two oxen would be yoked together. And he says, hey, take my yoke upon you. Take my, take my work. Let, let, let me walk with you. Now, this is not a yoke that says, oh, I'm going to yoke you up and you're just going to do all this work. But he's inviting, saying, let's walk this together. I'm gentle. I'm a good teacher. He's saying, I'm going to be with you in this yoke. I'm joining to you. And when you're paired up with Jesus, when you're yoked up with Jesus, who's the strong one? So a, a buddy of mine is... Uh, you know, is working and then has a really, really big project that's due on Monday. And it's going to, it's consuming his, his last number of weeks is going to consume his weekend and it's going to consume all this whole week. And maybe you even know what that's like. I had one of those last week as I was finishing up papers for my master's degree, consumed every bit of time. And so my, my friend is there, and he was just sort of texting between a few, saying, all right, hey, I'm not able to do this, not able to step into this because I got this big project due. And one of our mutual friends said this, um, invite Jesus into that. He's much better at it than you are. Now, again, this was a business mindset that this person is having to extend his energy towards. And yet the invitation was saying, invite Jesus into it. Let him speak into it because he is much better at it than you are. I remember Dallas Willard talked about that and he said, Jesus is the best electrical engineer who's ever lived. He is the best school teacher who has ever been. He is the best entrepreneur who has ever lived. He is the best mother in caring for children who has ever done it. He is the best um, home cleaner who has ever engaged in it. He is the best therapist who has ever lived. He is the best computer scientist who has ever engaged in that. He's, right? He is the best at all of it. He cares and he cares about the flourishing of all and we invite Jesus into it. Saying, take my yoke upon you is his yoke upon us, inviting him into his work, but he's also inviting us into his. But he is the one who is moving with us and driving it. He's inviting us into his rest, into his work, his balance. But it's an invitation to join him. In this is incredibly, incredibly challenging. Peter Scazzaro is uh, an author and a pastor at a church in New York City, and he writes about being emotionally healthy. 
and he talks about this work-rest balance, right? This balancing our inner lives and our healthy selves, about engaging in this invitation for Jesus to give us rest, but also that we can engage in meaningful work. And he says that most of us, our work-rest balance just continues to show an unhealthiness in our beliefs and our views about God, about ourselves, about our worth. And he continues to invite people into different practices to battle against the slavery that many of us experience from being overly driven where the master is ourself or some other voice beyond God. The gift of rest that Jesus is talking about is multifaceted. It's the rest that he gives from doing the work on the cross for us. It's the rest that gets from entering into this complete Sabbath rest from our work. But it's also a rest pattern. We can live differently, engaging in work and rest differently. And one of those patterns where Jesus himself said that he was Lord over was this pattern of Sabbath. He said, I am Lord over this pattern of Sabbath, a weekly pattern where you would stop and you would rest and delight in God. Jesus said this, that the Sabbath, that man wasn't created for Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man, for humanity. He's saying that it was a gift created for humanity, that we weren't made so that we could step into this ritual, but that Sabbath was made as a gift in the same way that everything that God created was really good. And when God tells a story in Genesis 1, he says the final thing of creation after he had created all in six days is he rested. And it was a creation of his, a pattern of his that he invited us to enter into. When the nation of Israel was a people, it was, it was among the Ten Commandments. And here it is in Deuteronomy. Verse 5, or chapter 5, where it's one of the commandments to rest. For them, it was an obligation, but it was also an opportunity to enter into God's rest as a pattern. Now for us, we are not the Jewish people. We're not under that obligation of the law, of that commandment. We, are, we have this immense opportunity and pattern as Jesus, who is Lord of rest, to invite us into even to his pattern. I think Sabbath is one of those patterns that continues to speak to a healthy mindset of work and rest, what it is to enter his rest and also know how to enter his work when he invites us. But I want to speak more to rest. Here's the command in Deuteronomy 5. It's very interesting. Observe the Sabbath day. And again, for the Jewish people, this started Friday night at like sundown and it finished Saturday night at sundown. That's when the Sabbath was a part of, a part of the calendar and the way the week goes. So observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, unique. Um, As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter or your male or female servant or your ox, your donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So that your male and female servants may rest as you do. That's a pretty intense value of rest, right? For everyone. It just wasn't for the people of God. It was like anyone who was connected to them. Anyone who was near them. A neighbor, a friend that was associated with them. Even their livestock said, you too will rest and enter into this delight. And then here's 15 where he's telling them to remember. What was this connected to? Now, again, it was connected to creation. But here is God again helping the people to connect Sabbath to something that says this. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. 
and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. It's connected to slavery. The idea of being enslaved, to be overworked and to be pressed and beat down. Now, there's modern-day slavery, absolutely, all over the world. Our country was one that oppressed people. Terrible, terrible sorts of thing that, that we still, as a people, are still wrestling through and to truly experience true forgiveness and repentance for the kind of oppression that we have done to people. There are still systems of that that we're still in place in our country and in our world that are still there. It, it's, a, it's a reality. Some of us, we struggle, we don't like to hear it, right? But yet it's a, it is a reality. It's a reality of the world. And so that, is, that is still, still exists, but a deliverance. And, that, and so when there's many people who are fighting for justice in our world and peace, they're wanting to come against these systems that are continuing to enslave people. But the systems are not the only things that enslave people. We have a culture, and I would say that we are enslaved as a people to overly producing, overly pushing, overly being driven, enslaved by a mindset, enslaved by a value. And so God in here, he liberates his people who were slaves in Egypt. So God, God ties this Sabbath freedom from being liberated from slavery. And Tim Keller wrote this. I thought it was really, he said that anyone who overworks is really a slave. Anyone who's driven to overwork is a slave to what they're doing. They're, they are bound to something us that is not the yoke of God that has bound them in it. They feel stuck in it and they're being driven by a fear or by a significance or a different value. They're enslaved to a mindset, to a system of believing that is not true. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to the need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploit exploitative employers to parental expectations or all of the above. And Jesus is saying, come to me and you'll find rest. He was the one who wanted to liberate the ones who were stuck in these systems and these patterns that were slaves to these kinds of mindsets and realities of sin. These slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom from these masters. And the one who sets us free from them is Jesus. When Jesus set us free from sin, it was a cosmic battle in which it says he disarmed the powers of this world and he leads in this procession, this victorious one, is a language the scripture uses. And Sabbath is in this way, this declaration of freedom from slavery. This is not one that we free ourselves from. This is one where God speaks in and speaks over his freeing words over us to set us free from this kind of slavery that we seem bound to in our core and our identity. And so this is not an easy thing. 
this is a battle that our culture steps into. And so my wife and I, we've been on, we've been on this journey of trying to practice Sabbath as a pattern, as an opportunity to engage in God's rest, as being wise with the time that God has given us. We have a God who's inviting us into rest and to be wise was actually to do less. Sabbath was not about, it was not about achieving or producing. It was about a number of things, about being with God because eternity is this idea of Sabbath rest, of being with God and those that we love. Sabbath is a weekly 24-hour period in which you cease from all of your work and your rest and you delight in God's gifts and you enjoy life with him. And so if you want to know some principles of Sabbath, let me give you four of those if you want to try, if you sense like the Lord is inviting you to say, hey, I am inviting you to stop. I'm inviting you to not do more, but to do less. I'm inviting for you to be with me in my presence. I'm inviting you into patterns that are different than just striving and pushing and to doing more and more and more. I'm inviting you to be with me. And if you sense the Lord is inviting you into that, not to do more is to be wise with your time, but to do less. Sabbath is one of those practices that is weekly. And in it, you do this. The first is this, you stop. This is incredibly hard to stop your work. This is paid and unpaid work. Boy, to stop working, for, it begins to expose. When I stop working, paid and unpaid, it exposes all, everything that is idolatry in my life. Everything I'm striving and push for, all of my identity, it shows it all. It lays me open before God and everyone else, and you see how anxious, concerned, and how hard it is to stop and to believe my identity in God that he's in control, that he is God, that I'm his beloved son, and I don't have to earn or prove anything. And when I try to stop, it shows the, the reality of my soul. But we, you stop. You stop paid and unpaid work. So um, Sabbath is not just you don't do your work job, but you do all the work around the house. That's not Sabbath. You rest. You breathe deep, you take it slower, you take a nap, you sleep more, you're tired, you rest. That's the second part. The third part is this, you delight in the good gifts of God. You delight in his creation, you delight in what he has created, what he has given you. You delight in your family, you delight in your spouse, you delight, you enjoy the good gifts of God. And the fourth thing is this, you contemplate. Sabbath is not meant to be without God, it's meant to be with God. So on the day, you ponder the love of God. You open the scriptures, you pray, you put on praise music, you read the reading plan, but you just reflect on, how, on God's love. This is what Sabbath looks like, and if you haven't practiced it, it's one to, to, that takes lots and lots of practice. Sabbath, then, it's a deliberate limitation of productivity as a way to trust God, to be good steward of ourself and declare freedom from the slavery of our work. If there's anything that I would speak to of this about my work, it's that pattern and that practice that Jesus would invite me in in order to show the slavery that I'm bound to and want to set me free. So let me read again this text from Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All of this was trying to figure out how do we make the most of our time not being foolish but being wise and finding what the Lord's will is. I believe as a culture, we have bought into the lie that producing more is better. And we haven't learned the rhythm of our God who wants to invite us into a healthy version of work and rest. And if this is you and you feel like you've tipped on the scale of unhealth, which I think is the majority of us, then we say, Lord, what do you want to speak into this? And if he invites you into his rest, begin to experiment with what that rest looks like. A daily pattern of rest, a common bedtime, not working to the night. And I would pray that you would begin to experiment with a weekly pattern of rest. It doesn't have to be on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Begin any time. But you'd begin to experiment May you figure out what that could be in order to engage in that practice of delighting. And if this is, I want to pray that this conversation would drive you with friends to ask them, what do you do to stop? What do you do to rest? What do you do to delight? And what do you do to contemplate? What are those patterns that you have in order to engage in it? My wife and I's pattern is for Monday. This is one that I have failed at for a long time now. Monday is this incredibly hard day now as we have an almost three-year-old and, and I'm in school. And do you know what day most of my school projects are due? What do you think? Monday at midnight? <laughs> and as a father and a pastor and a worker and a husband, when do you think that I try to finish those projects? Monday. <laughs> and if that is the day of rest, boy, does it interrupt it, Right? It takes quite a bit of intentionality in order to do something different. To believe that that God can give and help and sustain us. And so it's been an excuse of mine. I'm an adolescent in practicing Sabbath. But I hear in this text Jesus inviting me to rest and to delight my wife, to delight in my son, delight in him, to contemplate, to stop. Now, the ideal may not be a 24-hour period for me. But my ideal is to step into something tomorrow and to engage fully, receiving God's rest. And I pray that you would be able to do the same. So I pray that this will lead you into a conversation with those around you to ask the question, is God asking you to do more or less with your time in the season of life that you're in? And if so, how is he inviting you to be wise with it? What are the practices and patterns that you have that help you to live into that wisdom? And I want to encourage you, Sabbath is one of those, but it is a battleground. And may the Lord give you grace and fill you with his spirit as you engage. So let's pray. So Father, thank you for your invitation for rest. Thank you that you, God, know how to lead us in wisdom so that we can live differently. God, we we are children in this reality. We are pushed around by our worries and the circumstances of our lives. My emotions, God, are, are, seem so much similar to my three-year-olds. Distraught and frantic when I don't get what I want when I want it and don't get things done or when I'm nervous about the future. 
Oh, Father, may we hear your call for rest, to come to you for it, to not find it anywhere else, to find our identity, God, in you as well by taking your yoke upon us. So, Lord, would you speak into the sleepless nights that we're having here, the issues that we're having here around our work, and would you invite us, God, to a different way to live, engaging rest and work with you. Come, Lord, would you give us wisdom? You say those who ask for wisdom, you don't withhold it. And so, Lord, for some here, they need wisdom to know that their job that they're in is not good. It's not producing their own flourishing or the flourishing of the world, and you're inviting them to do something different and to trust you. And so, Father, would you give them wisdom and courage to hear what you're saying? Lord, for those of us who you're not inviting to switch our jobs, even though we wish you would, but you're inviting to us a different way of thinking and living in it, we pray, Lord, that you would, by your grace, by your strength, by your spirit, that we could react differently to the pressure. Come, Holy Spirit, and set us free from the slavery that we experience, from the bondage that is tied up there. And would you reveal to us where it's coming from? Would you tell us what you think about it? And would you speak into it? That we could experience life. We say yes to your invitation for rest and for your invitation of your yoke to put us on us that we would learn from you. Come and teach us, Lord. Teach us about Sabbath. Teach us about rest. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.